From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program. It is fantastic to have your company on this 21st day of the month, second month of the year in 2024, and we are live on just about every video streaming platform on the planet. So you'll be able to see us as well as listen to us. Maybe it's more portable and convenient just to listen to TNT. It is called TNT Radio after all, and uh, you can do that. But it's terrific to have your company. Are we witnessing the politicisation of the British monarchy? Has the UK government seized upon the fact that the Queen is no longer in charge and the King is convalescing and they want to use the reputation of the royal family to push their government's policy? I think we have seen exactly that in the last 24 hours. And first up, I'll show you how they did it, who they decided to target, and the message that has been delivered. Now, the far-left-leaning kingmaker and Trump hunter, George Soros, is doing all he can to spread his influence and, of course, spread his socialist philosophies. That's a kind way of describing what George Soros stands for. He stands for cancel culture. He stands for uh, all kinds of things that represent untruth. And he is someone to be very careful of. Uh, you've seen what he's done with Trump. He has weaponized the judiciary with, of course, the, uh, the ticking off of the Democratic Party. And uh, he's trying his very best to take Trump out of the race. Well, he's also trying to buy a large sector of the media in the United States. And I'll tell you what Suris is planning on gobbling up in just a short moment. Our resident line of liberty, Brian McWilliams, is on deck today. We always love having Brian here. We'll um, have a look at some of the big issues and he will unpack it for us. We'll talk about Julian Assange's first full day in the Royal Court overnight. Of course, he wasn't there. Uh, he's ill. So he wasn't present, Your Honour, but the case certainly ran for the full day and some very interesting testimony and arguments and some new facts that will be put before the judge in the case. And this is what has been described as Julian's final chance of avoiding being extradited to the United States. We'll also discuss Nancy Pelosi's latest fabricated allegations against Donald Trump. Now, if Nancy's not careful, and maybe she's overstepped the mark already, but if she's not careful, Donald Trump will sue the pants off her. Uh, he needs the money right now. So it'll be interesting. I'll play for you some of what she had to say. It's red hot, red hot. And the Bud Light transgender mistake. Well, poor old Bud Light, they continue to pay. I'm starting to feel sorry for them. No, I'm not. No, 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 I'm not. Uh, but we'll talk about that with Brian McWilliams as well. It is Cyber Wednesday, which means Alex Zaharoff-Royt joins us today with the latest miracle being performed by AI technology. Quite amazing, really. And Apple, dispels some of the myths, some of the things you think um, are true about what you should do when your phone, in this case, an Apple phone, gets wet. What happens if it falls at the to the bottom of the pool? 
or as I've done once, dropped it leaning over the toilet and it's ended up at the bottom of the bowl. Um, some people think they know exactly what they're doing when they try and dry out their phone. I'm sorry, the myths will be exploded when Alex joins us next hour on the program. Plenty happening in the world of tech. From down under today, Senator Holly Hughes is ready to go. She's fired up about the possibility of an early election. Yes, a little piece of paper has fallen into the media's hands and it looks as if they're not writing off the possibility of an election this year. Uh, we'll talk about the man who damaged Woolies over his woke and anti-Australian rhetoric. Well, he has jumped ship. He has decided to retire uh, very close to when all of that unfurled about four weeks ago. See, that's what happens when, you know, you're the CEO of a grocery store. You forget about what your key core aim is, which is to sell groceries at a decent price and look after customers. You then go woke. You started to play politics. Well, when you go woke, your company goes broke. Woolies didn't go broke, but they certainly lost a stack of custom, including mine. I'll never walk back in there again. Stack of market share. And, um, you are shown the door. But, of course, you're given a dignified way of announcing it yourself and calling your own retirement, which has never been mentioned in reference to this CEO until today. That tells you he was shown the door. Plus, we've got all of you, our reliable and very loyal listeners and viewers from right around the globe. And thank you very much, no matter where you're listening or viewing this particular program from. It's good to have you with us. And we'd love to hear what you've got to say. You can do that from the United States or Canada on 1-888-201-6425. You can call in from the UK very early hours of the morning, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia and New Zealand, one 800 670 Let's get this ship out of the dock. This is Chris Smith broadcasting live on the global news talk network, TNT. Keeping the commitment. I love you guys. Unbelievable. 24-7. Listen to you every day, half for years. Today's news talk radio, TNT. Okay, let's start the program off with a little bit of a quiz. When the faceless brains trust behind the royal family instruct one of its members to make a major public announcement. Who's really the driver of that process, do you think? Especially when that major announcement uh, ventures head on into the realm of war and politics. Maybe Queen Elizabeth will be turning in her grave. Is it the royal member, his or herself, that's doing the bidding here? The Brains Trust, possibly, or could it be the British government sensing a major opportunity? I am prepared to say right now that yesterday's very out of the ordinary, almost unheard of statement by Prince William was not of his making or his design, but it came direct from the Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs, David Cameron, Lord Cameron of Chipping Norton. Now, hold that thought for a second. But on Tuesday, the heir to the throne, Prince William, called for an end to the fighting in Gaza, where he said too many people had been killed in the conflict. Does he know the real numbers associated with those who are killed? Does he know how many Palestinians have died? It's not 29,000. And I'll explain why in just a second. But if he's calling for an end to fighting in Gaza, he wants Hamas to be 
allowed to continue ruling. Is that right? Because if you stop fighting in Gaza, Hamas, despite what they did on October 7, will remain in a degree of power in Gaza. Is that what we want? It's not what I want. Here is the actual statement from Prince William. I remain deeply concerned about the terrible human cost of the conflict in the Middle East since the Hamas terrorist attack. Too many people have been killed. I, like so many others, want to see an end to the fighting as soon as possible. There is a desperate need for increased humanitarian support to Gaza. It's critical that aid gets in and the hostages are released. Now, the news jolted the media including those on London's Talk TV. Here's Daily Express political editor, Sam Lister. The tradition is the royal family do not get involved in politics. And obviously the conflict uh, we're seeing out in the Middle East is so hugely, hugely divisive and political that it's quite interesting that they've decided to step into this field and he's decided to make this comment. Um, I'm interested to know what who his audience is though. Who is this statement aimed at? Because mm. clearly, I don't think anybody in Gaza or Israel yeah. is going to be listening also, to this. Who makes these decisions? Because, you know, if you believe that uh, fictional uh, documentary, whatever it is, fictional programme on the Netflix, The Crown, governments in the past have sort of deployed the royals as yeah. ways of uh, sending forth the government message. And I wonder if this has sort of come from government, come from someone in, uh, you know, the, the royal circles, or come from William himself. Because it, if it's the government, that's wrong. They should not be using the royal family to deploy their political messages. Yeah, and it would be very interesting to know, I'm sure we'll learn more this afternoon from Downing Street as to uh, what their uh, knowledge of this statement was beforehand. Um, I think, essentially, I think it will be a palace thing rather than a Downing Street thing. I think that would be quite a, a shocking thing mm. if Downing Street was involved in any way in this. Shocking? Yeah, it would be. And it would be a precedent. Uh, in the Middle East, the Israel Times uh, didn't seem to appreciate the prince's interference in Middle Eastern affairs, saying political intervention by members of the royal family is unusual. They're being rather diplomatic. Uh, and it is apart from global warming, which they talk about all the time in the royal family, and strictly humanitarian issues. They are the things that they have kept within the lane on. So where did this come from? And who's behind the idea to send the 41-year-old to a synagogue next week to hear from young people involved in hatred and anti-Semitism? Is that the yin to offset the yang? One week he's telling Israel to stop fighting in the pursuit of Hamas, which is effectively saying allow Hamas to rule. And the next week he's uh, doing some kind of symbolic visit to a synagogue. What weird. Well, the man now driving the Gaza agenda from Britain is former PM Lord Cameron. If he's not telling the US Congress that they should be coughing up a trillion more dollars for Ukraine, he's firing warning shots to Tel Aviv to warn them about the Palestinian death toll, which he thinks he knows. Here he was less than a week ago. I'm very concerned about what is happening in Rafa because let's be clear, the people there, many of them have moved four, five, six times before getting there. And uh, it really, we think, is impossible to, to see how you can, can fight a war amongst these people. There's nowhere for them to go. Uh, they can't go south into Egypt. They can't go north and back to their homes because many have been destroyed. So we are very concerned about the situation and we want Israel to stop and think very seriously before it takes any further action. But a 
above all, what we want is an immediate pause in the fighting. And we want that pause to lead to a ceasefire, a sustainable ceasefire, without a return um, to further fighting. Hold on a second. Were any of the words that he enunciated there, were they vaguely familiar? Prince William stated, let me quote, I remain deeply concerned. I'm very concerned about what is happening in Rafa. Lord Cameron said deeply concerned as well. Obviously just a mere coincidence, right? Of course it is. And what did the Prince say near the end of his statement? Let me quote, it's critical that aid gets in and the hostages are released. Here's the good Lord again. We need to get those hostages out. Oh, pure coincidence, okay? Pure coincidence, about six days before Prince William is able to issue a statement. Has the government helped him with that statement? If they have, they've used some of the words in the statement that Lord Cameron has been using publicly as well. But with the Queen gone, remember that, and her very strict resilience and resistance to government interference. She never wanted the government to use the royal family for their narrative. And then you've got the king recuperating from cancer surgery. Is it possible that the government pounced and used William and conned William into making some kind of stance on behalf of the royal family? As Secretary of State, Lord Cameron certainly has the access. I've got to say, it certainly looks and sounds that way, and the timing is perfect for them. And this business about, oh, no one's listening to what Prince William says, the rest of the Western world will hear what he had to say, and it's all part of putting the pressure on Israel. And just on this horrific death toll of Palestinians by Israeli bombing, which is angering the world, and it should anger you, and it does anger me. It's worth noting, though, what the other side is saying about the numbers. The Israel Times says the health ministry figures of 29,000 cannot be independently verified and are believed to include both civilians and Hamas members killed in Gaza, including as a consequence of the terror group's own rocket misfires. I doubt whether there'd be too many of those. The IDF says it's killed over 12,000 operatives in Gaza, in addition to some 1,000 terrorists inside Israel on October 7. Even the Qatar-based official the terror group claimed it had lost half that number, some 6,000 fighters during the four-month-old conflict. So let's just play with those numbers. 29,000 minus 13 is 16,000 Palestinians now dead. 16, not 29. Still way too many. Needless, wasteful, horrific. But compared to other similar conflicts, as Middle East military expert Shane Healy said to us yesterday, that is a small total for urban warfare involving aerial bombing attacks as well. Sometimes the truth lies somewhere in the rubble of war and words, and you've just got to go and look for it a little bit harder. This is TNT. In a democracy, the majority vote rules. But in most democracies, you can only vote for change every three or four years. To understand what people want, governments and political parties use focus groups. These focus groups can include as little as 20 people. Australia is a country of over 25 million people. Does making decisions based on 20 people sound fair to you? Have your say. Be heard in between elections. Download the 4MySay app now. That is number 4MySay. 
JDRF's vision is to create a world without type 1 diabetes. The type 1 diabetes community is at the heart of everything JDRF does. We were founded by the type 1 diabetes community. In the main, we are governed by the type 1 diabetes community, we're energised by the type 1 community and we're accountable to the type 1 diabetes community. It's on their behalf that we exist and it's on their behalf that we must succeed. JDRF exists to rid the world of type 1 diabetes. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So for us, that means rallying all the resources and all the people and all the organisations required to make that a reality as quickly as possible. The world's best researchers, exciting innovative companies and the passion of the type 1 diabetes community then delivered through the health system so lives get better every day, day after day, until the day we find a cure. To everybody in the type 1 diabetes community, no matter your age or stage with the disease, whether you were diagnosed recently or a long time ago, we need you to know that we are here working on your behalf to deliver a world without type 1 diabetes as quickly as we can. Thank you to everybody who supported JDRF in so many ways. You are making our vision of a world without type 1 diabetes possible. Today's News Talk Radio. Come on, let the man talk. We never censor our hosts. Good. Now, talk. Uncensored News. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Hey, good to have your company. There's plenty to get to. Uh, Julian Assange is facing a second day in the High Court as part of long, a long-standing battle against extradition to the United States. Can he... Uh, do what he hasn't been able to do on a number of occasions. Julian supporters, including former Labor leader Jeremy Corbyn, were in attendance yesterday while his wife Stella told the crowds, we have two big days ahead. We don't know what to expect, but you're here because the world is watching. They just cannot get away with this. Now, Julian Assange himself was absent from the court hearing due to illness, but boy, didn't he have some supporters turn up to the courts, uh, some of whom are TNT listeners or viewers who mentioned on the chat box ye yesterday they'd woken up earlier and they were heading to London for the court case and there were protests and banners and a lot of noise on behalf of Julian Assange. Let's bring in our regular Wednesday guest live from LA to discuss this and a whole heap more. Brian McWilliams is Communications Director of the Libertarian Party, America's third largest political party. He's a native Philadelphian, a comedian, an expert in public relations and communication, and can be heard on the weekly podcast, The Lions of Liberty, found at lionsofliberty.com. Brian McWilliams, welcome to TNT. Thank you. I am impressed by your listeners. That's amazing that they actually uh, went to London to help with this Assange situation. I mean, I wish I could fly over there myself, to be honest, Chris. Um, there's no greater importance, honestly, than press freedom. And Julian Assange, the way he's been treated, is one of the absolute starkest examples of a government attacking somebody for exposing secrets they don't want exposed. And that's simply the fact of the matter. So uh, kudos to those people. It's fantastic. And still on what you've just said there, and you're exactly right, but still on what you've just said, this is a turning point for that notion. This is a precedent. This is a real watershed decision that needs to be made to protect press freedom, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, the fact that Obama, right, Obama is beloved. They say that he was the most scandal free president. Well, he wasn't. He was the in fact, the guy that went after whistleblowers in the journalistic uh, venue more often than anybody else. Donald Trump, despite the fact that the deep state 
did him dirty in so many ways that are now becoming so very public, mm. uh, neglected to drop charges against Assange and to to essentially say, go, you know, we need this more than and more now than ever. And Biden has continued this illiberal trend. Uh, it is setting an absolute precedent that if you are a whistleblower, if you're a journalist and they call Julian Assange, um, for some reason, they've refused to call him a journalist, which I don't understand. They they want to portray him as a hacker. They want to portray him as uh, as some sort of criminal and charge him with espionage. The man's a journalist. Uh, he has communicated with other journalists. He's published information. That is a journalist reporting on the evils of the state. And the fact that the broader community, by the way, of journalists, the fact that the United States has journalists in it that have not stood up and said, this is an affront to everything we stand for, is an indictment not only of our government, but also the state of journalism in our country and in the broader context of the world, the state of journalism, that these cowards have not stood up in mass and demanded the release of Assange. And those within mainstream media are primarily uh, involved and they should be blamed for not doing that. It is atrocious. It is disgraceful. Okay. We'll be following that, of course, on TNT and we're broadcasting there live for the second day as well. On Monday, Brian, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi once again floated the absurd theory that Donald Trump is controlled, controlled by Vladimir Putin. Here's part of her unhinged rant. Putin is probably the richest person in the world. Probably the richest person in the world. Forget all these ratings that people have. The richest person mm -hmm. in the world. He's also the most, well, not the most evil, stiff competition for that honor, but nonetheless uh, among the top three or four most evil people in the world. What does he have on Donald Trump that he have to constantly be catering to Putin? And now we have someone who had the honor of serving in the White House, didn't consider it an honor, didn't consider his oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution. And on this week, speaking out the way he did about Navalny shows you that he is a person without values. He looks like he's going to be a person without dollars either, but the values are what concern us. Yes, the, the dollars. So I don't know what he has on him, but I think it's probably financial. I think it's probably financial, either something financial he has on or something on the come. Oh, you, you can't make those kinds of sweeping conclusions and statements without a bit of evidence. And she had none. Well, you know, it is without a doubt, I would say, more defamatory than what Donald Trump said in his defense of himself against E. Jean Carroll that he's now paying some 80 million plus dollars for. <laughs> but yeah, when you talk about Pelosi here, number one, she sounds like a deranged lunatic that's ranting on the street corner. She doesn't sound like a former Speaker of the House. I mean, you're talking about a woman talking about Donald Trump, uh, basically saying that, number one, it, Talking about Putin, you know, let's talk about the, her top five evil list. I didn't know that Nancy Pelosi had a top five evil list, Chris. <laughs> you know, I keep mine close to the vest because I don't want my <laughs> enemies to find me. Up but on she's the got one. Yeah, yeah, she's got one handy. Her kids are helping her with it. But talking about <laughs> what Putin has over Donald Trump, his abdication of the Constitution, you know, it, it's this is it would be the ravings of a lunatic if she wasn't a person in power. And one thing I wanted to also point out there: Did you see the delight? that she took in pointing out that Donald Trump now has no money, which shows you these results in New York City, this 400 million plus interest that Donald Trump has to pay in this fraud case, which is an absolute joke and a travesty. 
it shows you that is politically motivated. She and every other Democrat in power is absolutely taking the utmost pleasure in it. And it, it really, I think, betrays just how corrupt this entire system is. But yeah, Donald Trump should be going after her for uh, for slander right now because there's zero evidence that there's any financial you know, sort of Damocles holding over Donald Trump by Putin. It's just insanity. It is unhinged. And I think right now, Donald Trump would be very keen to recoup some of the money that he's been told to pay out in various defamation stroke indictments that are coming up. Um, and he'd make, a, 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 I think, a very handy and comfortable dollar out of Nancy. Nancy better be very careful that she doesn't repeat any of that elsewhere, but we'll see. Now, Nate Silver, co-founder and former editor-in-chief of polling analysis site 538, raised multiple concerns for President Joe Biden's re-election campaign on Monday, saying that Democrats appear to have no plans to address the issues. Now, the key issue is the fact that what's showing up in polling is uh, a reluctance of even his supporters and voters that they would support him for another four years because of his mental incapacities. And the other issues involve the fact that he hasn't been able to sell any of the good things that may be happening, whatever they might be. He hasn't been able to get onto the positive. Uh, he seems to talk about Donald Trump relentlessly. He is dead right, this polling bloke. The Democrats are sitting back waiting for it to implode. There's no other explanation. Well, I, I mean, we talked to this a little bit before. I don't know what you can do here if you're them. You're you're pretty much trapped. I mean, Joe Biden, by deciding that he is going to continue to run, has painted them into an absolute corner. Mm. And I thought that perhaps this Department of Justice report would allow them a get out of jail free card, but it certainly seems like they're going on the attack. It certainly seems. And also, by the way, the polling, despite what Nate Silver has said, and I do believe that Donald Trump will beat Joe Biden because of the concerns with his mental health, but you would have expected a much deeper drop in polls. You would have thought that when you saw this report, when you see Joe Biden out there doddering and losing you know, any concept of what's happening, where he is, who he's talking about or two, that you would have a precipitous drop. You would have a five to 7% drop. Mm. We haven't seen it. We haven't seen it. Which goes to show you, America today, and who knows what will happen with an RFK run, but America today has really become divided into two cult-like mentalities of that's my guy no matter what. And the polls are showing that, you know, Trump and his cases, whether they be valid or not, of course, most of them are not, is showing that his troop is going to back him no matter what. And Biden's troop is sticking with him, despite mm -hmm. the fact that he clearly cannot do the job. So it's depressing, <laughs> without a doubt. Um, I hope Nate Silver's right, to be honest, because we can't have another four years of Biden in there. It just it would defy any concept of reality we have knowing the mental state he's in. I have a feeling that we're going to have a very low voter turnout in November, and I, I'll explain it this way. What you've said is exactly right. Those that are rusted on to Biden seem to want to stay right where they are because they don't want a bar of Donald Trump. Those that are supportive of Donald Trump are not moving at all. And so a third, you know, I don't know whether that's an accurate figure, but a third of voters just don't have a clue. They see the negatives involved in voting for both of them. And so they may not even bother going out to vote. That could be problematic for the result, couldn't it? 
Well, absolutely. I mean, well, the question is going to be who is going to stay home because the diehards, of course, are going to show up. And then you also still we still have mail in voting. I mean, despite the fact that COVID is now over, you still have the mail in voting uh, operation in hand. So the Democrats, you've used that well. They'll continue to use it well. And you have to wonder who is going to be mailing in those votes and to what extent. So the people that might stay home are probably the exact people that you actually want to be deciding who's going to run the country. That's the, mm. that's kind of the sick and sad part, isn't it? The people that have given up hope are actually the people that you'd want to be deciding who leads us forward. And yet that seems to not be the case. Yes, yeah, somewhere in between the two wings would be preferable. You're exactly right. Um, some of the people who won't be going out to vote are the same nutcases that are still wearing those masks, by the way, Brian. But anyway, <laughs> uh, a discussion for another day. Let's take a quick break. I've got to get to some news. We'll get a news update for you and back with Brian McWilliams on TNT. Really big, 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 big. The biggest breaking news story. Big, gigantic, big, enormous. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Russian President Vladimir Putin has publicly rejected wild reports out of the US that he's planning on placing nuclear weapons in space. The US has blocked yet another UN resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. And disgraced former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is demanding $1 million in either cash, gold or Bitcoin to sit down for an interview with Tucker Carlson. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24-7, 365, we never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth, from government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's News Talk, this is TNT Radio. The Lion of Liberty here on uh, Wednesdays on the program is Brian McWilliams. Brian, just a, a question here from one of our viewers who's got on to the chat box on tntradio.live, uh, Chimp Watch. I think Chimp Watch is from Australia. Uh, he or she says, in the worst circumstances, Julian Assange is extradited to the US. Wouldn't the first, fourth, fifth, eighth and 14th amendments apply to him? Just asking. Yeah, you know, you certainly would expect that, right? I mean, considering the fact that, well, number one, he's not even a U.S. citizen. So it, you yeah. know, trying to get him on an espionage act is, is odd in its own right, because you'd think you'd have to be a citizen for that to extradite him on that. But still, yeah, you, you know, there's any number of charges here don't seem to make any sense, don't seem to add up. And by the way, I forgot to mention this earlier. There is a House bill that has been presented by Thomas Massey, uh, by several others. And by the way, Credit where credit's due. I don't personally like Ilhan Omar, but she is a co-sponsor of the bill to drop all charges against Julian Assange. So there is at least some movement out there mm. to to bring back sanity to uh, to what's going on here with Julian Assange. But no, that's a, exactly exactly right. It's a fantastic point. Yeah, good on you, Chimp Watch. Thank you, and uh, glad that you're <laughs> w watching or listening. And Miss Lippy too. Afternoon, Chris. Miss Lippy, thank you very much. How do you see the upcoming South Carolina Republican presidential primary shaping, Brian? Well, I mean, I, I know Nikki Haley is is viewing that as her her real bellwether event. Of mm. course, she's former governor there, but I still think that this is a done deal. Trump is going to be dominant in it. Um, I think that unlike some of the results we saw earlier, like New Hampshire, for example, 
Nikki Haley had an undue amount of that vote, but that was predominantly because they could get Democrat voters to just go and show up for that primary and vote for Nikki Haley. I don't think you're going to be able to do that in South Carolina. And I think that at this point, Nikki Haley, despite her admin, you know, I'm staying in it till the end. She might. She might because she's got the military industrial complex behind her, despite her campaign claiming that small donors are funding, you know, whatever it might be. I refuse to to believe that Nikki Haley is capturing the hearts and minds of anybody, Um, especially when you see the results against Donald Trump in New York. We talked about this earlier, Chris, even for people that are not in the Trump cult or uh, galvanized by Trump. You're seeing this attack on him, and it's going to motivate more people to support Donald Trump because of what's happening to him. And now it's it's a fight for the justice system. It's a fight for more than Nikki Haley. And um, particularly, we're seeing Joe Biden now talk about sending you know sixty five billion more dollars to Ukraine. And Nikki Haley, of course, is all about that spending. And people in the United States are sick of it. I think that she's going to get trounced, but she's going to stay in because she has the backing to do it. Yeah, people are turning on this kind of continued waste of money. They're turning on it, um, and the polls are showing it as well. All right, let's talk about the administration rolling back some of its requirements on emissions from exhaust pipes in what is being reported by some today as a concession to unions and automakers. Isn't it interesting? You know, when it comes to anything green, uh, I don't know whether they – at, uh, con- consult uh, the, the the stakeholders or not, but they always have to rewind because their green evangelism doesn't make any sense when uh, the practicalities are computed. Now, the original plan touted as an ambitious move to combat climate change involved limiting tailpipe pollution that would have ensured 67% of new passenger vehicles in the US would be emissions-free by 2032. Sounds like Boris Johnson. Um, it's a backflip. And it will, will slow plans for a transition to electric car production. But I, I keep thinking about the boss of Toyota telling us a month ago, um, electric vehicles only have the capacity to be a 30% market share, which is a bombshell for the likes of the green evangelist in the Biden administration. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, Thomas Massey did a great job uh, to give him more credit exposing how ridiculous the entire agenda of trying to go full electric was. There's no way the grid can handle it. There's no way that people's expenses for electricity can handle it. But on top of that, you know, look, if these guys really, the only reason I could get behind this plan is if every politician really said, look, I'll personally get on the line to stop these emissions. I'll put my mouth over the tailpipe and I'll personally suck in the gases. (laughs) Then I can get behind it. We could take (laughs) out an entire political class in a day, Chris. But if that's not going to happen, of course, you have to roll these things back. It's unrealistic. I love that they're saying this is kowtowing to unions, which I'm sure it is, by the way. Uh, they're citing that the electrical car plants are not use- unionized. So that's one reason to roll it back. But I think this is more or less saving face. Yes. And while there might be deals, they know it's impossible. And they know that it's just going to drive people nuts, especially in an era of massive inflation. And you're going to tell us we have to give up our cars and we have to, you know, what plug into electrical charging stations that still haven't been built and are and aren't going to be built reliable for at least the next three decades. And the ones that are built in very cold climates like Chicago don't work. No. Well, apparently electricity can freeze. I didn't know that, but the Chicagoites. <laughs> I didn't know that either. Quite, quite amazing. <laughs> a couple of quick things I wanted to talk to you about. While Super Bowl Sunday beer sales jumped overall, as you'd expect, and given the fact that there was a, a greater interest in this Super Bowl than any of the previous ones, 
Poor old Bud Light. I'm starting to feel very sorry for Bud Light. Saw sales drop by about a half against the yeah. uh, overall trend. It's a massive drop. Uh, this is all related to their transgender campaign, which went absolutely bum up. And they are going to pay, obviously, from the sound of this, for quite some time. I told you before, this is something that is not going to end. This is literally going to be a generational a change. They, they've lost a generation of Bud Light drinkers with this campaign, but it wasn't just the campaign. It wasn't just the engagement with this, you know, this transgender influencer. It was everything that followed. It was insulting the customer base. It was refusing yeah. to apologize. It was then giving them the lowest common denominator, patronizing. I mean, the fact that Bud Light never apologized and then said, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put camo on beer bottles and that's going to make things all better. I mean, you talk about in insulting to your drinking base they think they're dumb enough that if you just put camo on it that's somehow going to make everything better no the ceo is going to have to be fired i think that would do something uh, they fired the marketing director for bud light the ceo has is just as complicit in insulting the people calling it misinformation and disinformation yeah. instead of just owning it it's going to be a generation before they can win it back. And you can pay Peyton Manning another $18 million or whatever it is to be in your Bud Light commercials. But until you own what you did and the generation that was dedicated to that beer ages out, you're not going to get them back. And they've and just ruined this and run it in the ground. Both you and I have taught, and probably you still do, taught corporates how to deal with the media. And it's 101 lesson. When things do go awry, when things really F up, you've got to take ownership of it. You've got to be transparent and you've got to tell the truth, Brian. It is the only way out of the pit. Well, the one thing you don't do is blame your customers and call them idiots. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing you can't do is just say, well, you know, it's really because our, our stupid drinkers of Bud Light, you know, they just don't get it. They're not with the times. That's not going to go over too well. So yeah, this was, I mean, it, it's going to be probably used in public relations crisis communications courses for the next 25 years, because that's how long it's going to take for Bud Light to redeem their brand. Yeah. And, and just one um, uh, listener or viewer on our Chat box is saying, Tom says, well, Bud Light has been propped up by the UFC. If it weren't for the UFC, Bud Light would be in deeper trouble. All right, final final issue. Um, we discussed yesterday on the program with my guest, Corinne Clifford, about San Francisco appointing the first non-citizen to serve on the Elections Commission, which just made me shake my head. Now, as a Californian, Brian, do you see your state is a little bit like a testing bed here for such measures? which I've got to say, most Americans would reject, surely. It's a testing bed insofar as, for some reason, we attract people. I think we attract people that are, are number one, that are, are dreamers, that are not necessarily connected to the reality of the world around them. I'll say that. But for some reason, this also breeds idiocy. I mean, we really are a hotbed for the dumbest ideas that can be created and also the shortest memories for history because all these people are pushing for communism and socialist programs and they're driving the state. I mean, Gavin Newsom destroyed San Francisco. They don't seem to learn anything. They just seem to want to double down. And this is a latest example of that. As you've got a crisis across the United States of immigration, of people, of cities being overrun, uh, the infrastructure breaking down, what does San Francisco do? Well, it's obviously time to have a, a non-citizen on there. And by the way, 
I don't know if you talked about this yesterday, but one thing to show you just where the mindset of San Francisco is highlighted in the press conference for the first non-citizen, I believe her name is Kelly Wong. She said that one of the prime reasons that she was on this commission was because there was no word in Mandarin for reparations, Chris. So only the most oh, important Oh, no, things. she's right into that rubbish as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was one of the things she highlighted. Oh. So that goes to show you exactly what's being prioritized in uh, in San Francisco and California at large. But yeah, and, we are and a, tell a me, she's obviously identified ideas. something that other politicians in California have identified. The more you push reparations, the more you are baiting the black community to vote for you, aren't you? Oh, for sure. Of course. But what's confusing is she said there's no word for reparations in Mandarin. So I don't know how many you know of the black community in San Francisco speak <laughs> fluent Mandarin to receive those electoral materials. But, you know, if you're pandering that vote, you're probably not going to get it there. <laughs> just I don't know. If I, I'm not on her team, but I, that's a that's a freebie from me. Free tip. <laughs> yes, I think she's picked the wrong market. All right. It's fantastic to have you on, mate. Thank you again. We'll catch up next week. Cheers. Thanks, Chris. Good on you, Brian McWilliams. Uh, he's right. How many black people in California are speaking fluent Mandarin? Maybe one or two. Uh, communications director of the Libertarian Party. And, of course, you can hear his weekly podcast on thelinesofliberty.com. That is the website you go to. Uh, there's a lot happening in terms of George Soros and his money. He seems to want to buy a huge chunk of the media to spread his outrageous socialist agenda. We'll talk about that when we come back after a quick break on TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Remember how exercised over binders Democrats were in 2012 when Mitt Romney said that in Massachusetts they had binders full of women they were looking to bring into state government? He was referring, of course, to binders full of resumes, but that didn't matter to the left. No, they were mannequin in a panic over binders. Well, they're mannequin in a panic over a binder now, too, only it's a missing binder. A binder we believe contains all the receipts to lay Operation Crossfire Hurricane, the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, and all of the 2020 election interference solely at the feet of CIA, FBI, the Obama administration and his handlers, and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. If this is true, and that the president took the binder and secreted it outside the purview of FBI. That would explain the jackbooted thug raid of Mar-a-Lago. That would explain the illegal criminal charges in the documents case brought by Jack Smith. And it would explain why they're so mannequin in a panic over the binder now. If they want to bring Hillary in as the nominee over Stumblebum Joe, Donald Trump will have a Trump card to play that will drive a wooden stake through the evil heart of the Democrat Party once and for all. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's News Talk TNT. see it coming. It's pre-diabetes, and it captures one in three adults. 
You may not even know you have it, but you can escape. Take the one-minute pre-diabetes risk test to know where you stand. With early diagnosis, you can change the outcome and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. Be your own hero on smartphones everywhere at doihaveprediabetes.org. Here's a bushfire fact. Bushfires can occur without warning. So if you're traveling during bushfire season, here are three simple steps to remember. One, check the fire danger rating before you go. The higher the fire danger rating, the more dangerous the conditions. It may be safer to replan your trip. Two, think about the area you're going to and what you would do if a fire started. How would you escape the area if you needed to? And where would you go? Check if there's a neighborhood safer place. Three, it's dangerous to drive through smoke or fire. If you can't find a way to avoid the fire, park in a cleared area, face the car towards the fire and turn the engine off. Then lie on the floor and cover yourself to protect yourself from radiant heat. Live bushfire ready. For more helpful tips, visit myfireplan.com.au today. Right, I've got cancer. I've been trying to tell the rest of you, but no one's listening. And I don't just mean you, ears, eyes. Would you look in the damn toilet for once? Hands, roll those sleeves and take a sample. And legs, trot off to the doctor to get me looked at. Because bowel cancer can be successfully treated when detected early. Now look who's finally woken up. Thanks for listening and being a part of The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, you don't have to be a media or communications expert or executive to understand exactly what George Soros is up to. George looks set to control radio company Odyssey, and it's more than 220 radio stations nationwide, stoking fears, of course, of an ultra-progressive billionaire having a megaphone during the 2024 election. Um, Soros Fund Management has bought up more than $400 million of the radio and podcast company's highest-raking debt. Bankruptcy court filings now show. Uh, one conservative ex-Twitter account said the Hungarian-born financier will use the stations in an attempt to influence voters in the coming elections. Wouldn't that be rather handy leading into what will be um, a Biden versus Trump showdown? And, of course, we know how much Soros has gone after Donald Trump. I want to talk about this with Shulman Journalism fellow David Greenfield, who's with me right now. David, thank you very much for your time on TNT. Thank you so much for having me on. Now, your front page article titled, Can Texas Stop Sewers From Taking Over Conservative Radio? highlights a serious problem here. Now, in the long term, I doubt whether conservative listeners are going to switch onto a station that has politically gone in the opposite direction, but it's not a long-term investment, this for him, is it? It's not just a long-term investment, and it's not just conservatives. You know, we think of people on the left or the right. Most of the country in the United States, at least, uh, consists of independents, people who want to hear different points of view. They're no longer going to be able to hear different points of view. Mm -hmm. They're going to have only one point of view spoon-fed to them, whether they like it or not. 
do you expect Soros to ensure and, uh, you know, policy dictate to those journalists who might work in that frame? Uh, for instance, host of hosts of shows on these radio stations? Absolutely. I assume that the conservative hosts on this are going to be out very soon. People like Ben Shapiro are not going to be around anymore. Local hosts are going to be dropped. They have an excuse because they say they're going to have to do a lot of cutbacks to deal with the debt situation. And I think the cutbacks are going to involve uh, a cover for a political reorientation. And when you have a reorientation in mainstream media, um, you really don't have to actually dictate in policy form exactly what should be said or not. You put your own people into the main seats behind the microphone and you produce what you essentially want. So there's more than one way to get this done, isn't there? Absolutely. It will be the simple way to do it. Uh, form affiliate agreements with mainstream media stations and uh, he won't even have to lift, lift another finger. And what about Alex Suros, who seems to be rather um, uh, vocal at the moment in terms of where Donald Trump is at with the presidential election? He's no doubt going to have his hands all over this, will he? I imagine Soros fund management is technically the work of another son, but the reality is George Soros has never been able to give up power. This man is a bit of a megalomaniac. He's said that he's handed over power to one or two of his sons before, and he's always taken it back. This is a man just like Joe Biden who cannot give up the throne. There's no succession here. Would you would you agree with me that George Soros is obsessed about Donald Trump? Uh, certainly. He's been obsessed for quite a while with bringing down Republicans who are the conservatives in this situation. But Trump has set off very much a special obsession. And there is no way that he, uh, this is, any of this is a coincidence because he has been buying up other media outlets. And uh, media is not a great investment these days. There's one reason that a smart investor is buying it up, and it's an investment in politics. Um, you are the author of Domestic Enemies, The Founding Fathers Fight Against the Left. How do you fight against someone who's prepared to pay $400 million for a group of radio stations? Well, for starters, you earn from the enemy. When leftist stations were on the verge of becoming conservative, uh, the left used government regulation. They used every possible outlet to sabotage the deals. And in many cases, they succeeded. Conservatives need to be willing to use the political power that they have to stop this rather than treating this as a free market phenomenon. Give people an idea, especially from outside of the United States, where these key radio stations are. Don't tell me 220 of them, but no doubt these are in capital cities in America. Do they have the influence that George Soros would hope that they have? Well, in the United States, there are states that are considered red and blue. Those are states that are going to inevitably go one way or another. Some of those your listeners may have heard of, like New York and California. But these, a lot of these stations are located in states that we call swing states. These are states that could go either way. These are the states that really determine the outcome of presidential elections. And conveniently and coincidentally, a number of these stations are indeed in some of these states, like Virginia, for example, or Florida. Tell me a little bit about George Soros. Um, he's changed the political landscape. That's for certain. How has he done that, though? Uh, he's done that by doing what he's always done. Uh, as an investor, he focused on disrupting markets. 
finding weak points that he could exploit. He's done that with politics quite effectively. He looked at the political landscape. He looked at ways that he could disrupt it, transform it. He combined donors into a cartel called the Democracy Alliance, for example. That Democracy Alliance sets the terms for most of the left and effectively for a good deal of Democrats. Uh, he's looked at regulatory weaknesses that allowed him to uh, transform the way that political donations were used. In the past, uh, there were charities. Charities were tax exempt, for example. And he used those, a lot of those tax exempt organizations, not for charitable purposes, but for political purposes, which had formerly been illegal. But his people found ways to avoid those rules and effectively transform the political landscape by using tax exempt money to influence elections. That's interesting. So, therefore, would there be any broadcasting regulation impediments? from George Soros owning these or having a large share in these 220 radio stations? Well, there certainly should be, and uh, it would certainly behoove Republicans to take a close look at the regulations. There have been in the past uh, restrictions on any kind of monopolistic control. And in general, there's a public interest statute which comes into play, which says that the ownership of radio stations has to be served has to be serving the public interest. Is it really serving the public interest to have one man um, in charge of this many radio stations? That's something Republicans can play on. I don't expect you to have listened to the 220 stations in the last 24 hours, despite the fact that you have covered the story and you're now talking about it. But have you heard at all whether there's been any on-air pushback against George Soros having this major stake? I suspect not at the moment. Previously, when George Soros took over conservative Latino stations, there was very vocal on their pushback, but uh, Cubans are not the sorts of people who stay quiet, whereas mainstream Americans are more likely to um, be soft-spoken until something actually happens. Softly spoken until something actually happens, yes. Well, we'll see whether something actually happens. Um, when's the deadline for all of this? When does this um, get the green light and when could he have real influence? Well, it's, the filing isn't currently in bankruptcy court now. Uh, it could move very speedily, fairly speedily, uh, well before the election if no, there are no roadblocks. However, if Republicans choose to introduce roadblocks, then the entire bankruptcy filing can drag out for enough years to uh, make the whole thing move? That's the really crucial question. That is not only a crucial question, that is something they'd be hoping of succeeding in doing, I'd imagine. Uh, fabulous to have you on the program, Daniel. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Shulman Journalism Fellow, Daniel Greenfield. And uh, as I say, he's the author of Domestic Enemies, The Founding Fathers, The Fight Against the Left. I don't know how you fight someone waving around 400 million, but maybe one of the ways in which you do that, and we touched on that at the end of the interview, is basically delay the idea that he can somehow um, clarify the debt that's owed and the money that's being paid to recoup the debt. Um, maybe there are some court battles that can be had and a uh, fleet of lawyers can walk into court and delay it until after November. I don't know. I'm sure they'll be aiming to do that. I'm sure they will. Just very briefly, uh, Brian McWilliams mentioned Nikki Haley. Well, uh, Nikki Haley has doubled down her long-shot White House bid in the last 24 hours, blasting Donald Trump as unhinged in a passionate speech in South Carolina as President Joe Biden reportedly urges his top staff to more forcefully call out the former president's 
crazy shit in public. That's right. You heard right. Four days out from the third major Republican primary contest in South Carolina, the state's former governor and last remaining competitor to Trump uh, issued her strongest criticism yet of her former boss. He's getting meaner and more offensive by the day. He's gotten more unstable and more unhinged. He's completely distracted and everything is about him. He's so obsessed with his demons in the past that he can't focus on the future Americans deserve. That's what she told the media in Greenville, South Carolina on Wednesday, uh, sorry, on Tuesday. Many of the same politicians in our public embrace Trump, privately dread him. Wow, she's coming out with all guns blazing. She's got to do that though, because she's on a hiding to nothing. This is her final fling, I would have thought, and we'll find out how it goes in the next few days. Got to take a break and I'll get your news. And then after that, we'll come up and speak with Senator Holly Hughes and a whole heap more right here with Chris Smith on TNT.